Interdrekkies, we have some really exciting news for you. We've been invited to participate in a live podcast festival hosted by the podcast Women at Warp. It's called the IDIC or Infinite Diversity in Infinite Combinations podcast festival, which is taking place July 17th and 18th. And we will be broadcasting live for the first time ever doing a live podcast. Oh my goodness. So like, yeah, tune in to hear us stutter or say funny things or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> try try valiantly not to swear because they have requested that we um, keep it PG. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and we will be on on at 3.30 p.m. Pacific or 6.30 Eastern time. If you're in a time zone that isn't one of those, you can do the math. And on July 17th, which is Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, July 17th, 3.30 Pacific, live. It's virtual, so you can watch it from anywhere um, by going to the Women at Warp Facebook page or YouTube page, and we will send you details on all our socials. Oh, should we tell them what we're talking about? Yeah, what, what are we going to talk about? We're talking about asylum seekers in the Star Trek universe. Um, we're going to include several episodes. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're going to get into it. <laughs> um, so we cannot wait to virtually see you there. And we could not be more excited and could not be more honored to be included in this incredible lineup of podcasts, which you should definitely check out mm -hmm. at the Women at Warp website. It's or gonna, Facebook page. Or Facebook page. See you there. This is Intertractional an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. How about you do it? You start. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Inner Trekkies. Hi, everybody. We're back. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> we have like big news in, in intersectional land, but it's really Ryan's news. So Ryan, what? tell us the news. Oh, okay. Uh, I had a baby. <laughs> she had a baby. <laughs> yeah. A while ago. He's like three months old now. <laughs> so does that mean you're like through fourth trimester, as they call it? Yeah, we're we're both through the fourth trimester. It's interesting because different people talk about it different ways. Like I'd always kind of heard of the fourth trimester in terms of like the mother's body and her healing, mm -hmm. but it's also in terms of like baby development, being ready to be in the outside world. So we made it. <laughs> and now he's like old enough that you can leave him with a nanny for long enough that we can record a podcast. Yes. Yeah. The, the last I checked on them, they were trying to nap. So this is we're not just randomly gabbing about my life. Like I'm sure, you know, some of you some of you care, especially since a lot of our, our listeners like know us. But one of the reasons we're talking about my baby is because the topic today is uh, childbirth in Star Trek. Love it. What did we watch? Yeah, what did we watch? I watched like, I was doing this 
this Voyager rewatch, as most of you know, and then I felt, and then that kind of rolled over into a DS9 rewatch. So I ended up watching like the whole arc where Kira carries Keiko's baby. Which is because in real life, Kira was pregnant with Bashir's baby, but they didn't. Mm. <laughs> But they didn't, because they were married at the time, and they didn't want to make Kira pregnant, so they had to, like, write her pregnant somehow. I think it's a very creative solution to a, I guess, the quote-unquote problem of an actress getting pregnant. The major one that we watched is the one where she actually gives birth. It's called The Begotten. Yeah. Deep Space Nine, episode 12, season five. In it, it's like... Her giving birth is actually the subplot. And then the primary plot is Odo gets a changeling baby and tries to like teach it how to shape shift. Right. And then he can't do it by himself. So he like brings in Dr. Mora, the person who studied him when he was first learning how to be a changeling. And so we basically get like a walk through childhood trauma for Odo <laughs> and a large portion of this episode is actually Odo just having a conversation with a jar of goo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, there's that. You also get the idea that Odo is actually like not that old, but he somehow like decided to represent himself as like a 45 year old man. Yeah, to I mean, totally. I think he's something like 12 or something that he's actually been in humanoid form. It's very strange. It's weird. <laughs> the, the other like character who's pregnant for a long time is Balana on Voyager. Mm -hmm. And we watched the episode where she finds out that she's pregnant. Lineage. The first like 10 minutes or so of that episode are just like people reacting to her pregnancy and like telling her to like take it easy and lay down and like, um, you know, she wants to keep working through the pregnancy and like people are sort of making all these assumptions about how how it's going to go and like uh, how she's going to behave. And they're also you know, making weird comments about her being Klingon and like, oh, don't upset a Klingon mother. And it's just sort of like, it's a, it's a lot. Like you can tell someone on the staff had been like one of the writers had been pregnant or like, you know, just like watched their partner go through it because it was just like all the shit that happens to you when you're pregnant. Just like people start telling you all these things about your life um like your employers make assumptions like people do people just start saying like mildly offensive things to you mm -hmm. it's like what what's happening <laughs> i found that whole sequence to be like extremely accurate and then the the rest of the plot uh they they realize that something's wrong with the baby uh because she's Klingon and has inherited this like spinal defect mm -hmm. and the doctor can do like a pretty easy like neonatal surgery or maybe like genetic fix or something to to fix it and it's good that they caught it and this makes Bolana go down a rabbit hole about like oh no my child is going to look Klingon and my child is going to have Klingon DNA even though she'll only be a quarter Klingon 
Um, she's still going to look Klingon and she gets like majorly triggered. So half of the episode is like all these flashbacks from her childhood trauma and her relationship with her shitty father. Mm. So kind of a parallel to Odo there. And yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) And she starts to get really worried that her child is like either going to be abandoned by Tom Hmm. Um, because her dad abandoned her uh, because she was Klingon and because her mother was Klingon and because, I don't know, I, I think it was just, it's like a bad divorce story, but she gets worried that Tom is going to leave her and her child the way her dad left her and her mother and that children are going to bully her child the way they bullied her. So uh, she decides to like, try to convince the doctor to genetically edit her baby to be less Klingon. And when he doesn't, because it's unethical, she decides to edit the doctor so that he'll agree with her. (laughs) Yeah. And like the captain gets involved. Everyone gets involved. It's, It's like highly morally questionable, the whole situation. And then she just has like a heart to heart with Tom they don't go through with it and everyone forgives her. What else did we what else did we watch? <laughs> we also watched a couple uh TNG episodes. Uh we watched The Child and we watched Disaster. Mm-hmm. In The Child, which is season 2 episode 1, mm-hmm. Deanna gets magic space pregnant <laughs> where this like glowing like dot of light comes up from the foot of her bed and like impregnates her in the middle of the night right and uh then there's a whole like discussion about what like with all of the senior staff is she gonna keep the baby blah 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 and then like she has some sort of moment of connection with the child and decides to keep it She's pregnant for, like, a whole day, um, and then she gives birth painlessly, and then uh, the the kid grows up really fast, and um, the, the B-plot of this episode is that the Enterprise is transporting, like, extremely dangerous, virulent... Um, biomatter that's like being researched so they're transporting it from one research facility to another and somehow this magic space child is disrupting the containment field for these like superbugs and chooses to die and uh, then turns back into a beam of light and like leaves and that's basically the whole episode. So we also watched Disaster, which is season five, episode five of TNG. And that is the episode where there's like a cosmic filament or something that hits the Enterprise and then everything breaks. And because Deanna is the senior officer on the bridge, she has to take command and... Um, Meanwhile, it is also the episode where Keiko gives birth to Molly O'Brien. Right. That's 
why we watched this episode is for those scenes with her giving birth and Worf helping her through the process of giving birth because they're both stuck in 10 forward. <laughs> There's a lot of plot in this episode that I'm not going to go into because uh, it's not, it does not have anything to do with babies being born. This isn't Captain Picard Day, is it? Or is he just like also judging a science fair for some reason? You know, he gets to meet the winners of the science fair. Exactly. That's that's the other part of the plot that is relevant because Captain Picard gets to or has to hang out with little <laughs> kids. Right. And he's like not into it at all, but then he actually ends up doing like a really good job. He gets trapped in the turbo lift with these three kids and like after not knowing how to treat them at all, like decides that they're basically baby officers and then like helps them escape through climbing a ladder and right it's all very dramatic it's really yeah. cute actually yeah and it's it's the origin of this meme that was on the internet for a little bit about the one of the little kids like had a really stupid science project he's like what did you do and he's like i planted some radishes and some special dirt and they grew all weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for some reason, that kid became a meme on, like, Star Trek internet for a few months. It's like the special uh. dirt kid. <laughs> <laughs> he does deliver that line impeccably. They came up all weird. <laughs> know, he's a, yeah, he's a really cute kid. It's a <laughs> Picard is like, that's uh, really great. <laughs> like, he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> Oh, I think he says it's commendable. You have to wonder what the other science fair projects were that that little kid was the winner. Right. Of, but maybe they did it like according to grade level or something. Right. Yeah. Like he was the winner of his age group. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple honorable mention episodes that I'm not going to summarize, but one is called um, Business as Usual. It's a Deep Space Nine episode after... Yoshi or Kira Yoshi is born there the the kid that Kira was carrying and uh Miles is left with the baby on his own because Keiko goes and does something else there's a couple scenes that I'm going to pull clips from from that episode and then so when I was googling like pregnancy in Star Trek there's one original series episode where somebody is pregnant what it's Yes, I just watched it last night. It's called Friday's Child. It seems like it's this primitive medieval society where there's like patrilineal inheritance and the the patriarch dies, but he's got a young bride with the pre with pregnancy. And that's where the pregnancy comes in. But she's barely able to string like English sentences together, even though they have universal translators. And there's just one scene where like Dr. McCoy is trying to help her. And she's like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I guess she's like not supposed to be touched or something, whatever. Or she doesn't want to be touched, which is fine. Oh, that's fine. But he's like, I'm going to touch you however I want to because I'm the doctor and it's medically necessary. And I'm like, oh, God. fuck you, Dr. McCoy. Like she's like slapping him to to have him back off. And then he slaps her. And then and then everything's fine, I guess, after that. It's like, whatever. Oh, man. wow. Oh, can I talk about this? <laughs> 
Yeah, I want to I want to talk about it. That is like a It's hella weird. There's like a whole thing now about like traumatic birth. Mm. There's this whole movement um it's it's one of the reasons So I don't know if you guys know what like a doula is, but a doula is like uh it, it comes from the Greek meaning like women's servant. Oh. Um but it's it's basically somebody who goes to the hospital with you and advo- and like one like helps coach you through the birth and two advocates on your behalf. Hmm. So if you have a birth plan like and the doctors are like you really need this drug right now and you're like but I really don't want that drug, they'll help you uh, assert that hmm. you don't want the drug and um, uh, they'll they'll sort of help you minimize interventions that aren't medically necessary Hmm. um, unless they're medically necessary. So some drugs in birth, like like there's something called Pitocin that will help uh, speed up and strengthen your contractions. There are times when like a baby is in distress and this is super necessary. And then there are other times when hospitals will be like, this birth isn't going fast enough. Hmm. And isn't going sort of according to plan, mm. then they'll give you the drug just to speed along the birth when really, mm-hmm. like, you might not need it. So the doula will be there to help you sort of navigate, like, which situation you're in and uh, when you need to put your foot down. Um, and one of the reasons this has become so popular is because many, many women go through birth at hospitals and feel like they weren't seen, like they weren't heard, um, like things are being done to them. Mm. Many women sort of liken a traumatic birth experience to being raped. Mm. Often uh, the birthing persons, I know I keep saying women, and I just want to stop for a second and say that like not only women give birth. Right. Womb havers. Yeah. <laughs> so the birthing person will feel like uh, like they are not a participant in the process, which can be very traumatic. Yeah. In some hospitals, you know, they put your feet in stirrups. In some hospitals, they'll physically hold you down. Sometimes women will want to get on hands and knees. And there have been cases where nurses will physically hold a woman down on her back. Wow. Birthing on your back is something that really came about just to make it easier for mostly male doctors to see what's going on when through most of history people have given birth either squatting or on hands and knees. Ugh, that makes me so mad. Like, yeah. Ugh. And like, how does this come to pass historically up until really the like medical establishment of obstetrics and gynecology as a practice? Pregnancy and childbirth were very much in the domain of womanhood Mm -hmm. and like a thing that you did with other women who had been through birth themselves and helped other people through birth. Right. So either family members or, you know, as time went on, midwives, you know, people who studied this and like passed on information and like learned from other midwives like throughout generations. And so then all of that like generational knowledge, all of that accumulated knowledge was like, thrown out the window because it was lady time and women were not part of the medical establishment. It was just exclusive to men. This happened in a lot of professions. As they became professionalized, they became male. In fact, in like the late uh, 19th century, 
doctors, they advocated to get midwives removed from birthing spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think they even like advocated like legally, you know. And like mid the practice of midwifery was like closely associated with witchcraft when witches were being hunted. All of these ways in which the the tradition and the practice of helping other women through childbirth was stigmatized and and demonized and like kind of wrested away from women and I'm not I I do want to say that with modern medicine far fewer people die in childbirth than had previously yes and so there are medical advancements that have been made that are important and there's a movement now to really kind of reclaim midwifery as a respected profession, bring in doulas to the to the birthing process and to just like have this thing that women have been doing for all of human history and kind of like back into our domain. Yeah, and it, I mean it's definitely gotten better now, but like in the in the 50s and 60s um, a lot of women would give birth um, under twilight anesthesia, which is basically a, a drug that they would give you that um, you're awake and aware, but you don't remember anything afterward. Oh, weird. So women would come out of childbirth being like, yeah, it was great because they couldn't remember it, but it, it wasn't actually great. Sometimes women would even like be strapped down uh, with like restraints during during childbirth. And that's around the time, you know, that uh, this episode would have been made with Dr. McCoy um, mm-hmm. or like sort of shortly after the peak of that. Yeah. His attitude is very much of this attitude that still persists in some hospitals and in some spaces of I'm the doctor, you're the birthing person, and I know what I'm doing and you don't. Um, so you don't really get to mm-hmm. consent to what's going on. Hate that. It makes me so mad. Yeah, I will say that's definitely not every hospital. And I think hospitals sort of exist on a, on a continuum, you know? So, like, I, I gave birth yeah. at UCSF. Um, and I planned to give birth in a birth center. Mm. Uh, but I had to be moved for uh, medical complications. And, you know, where I gave birth, uh, there weren't stirrups. There was a midwife in the room that was, like, I brought my own midwife, but they also provided a midwife, and uh, they definitely, you know, asked me questions. They didn't try to coerce me. I I consented to everything that went on, and so they're on, like, the good end of the the spectrum. Um, I know there are other hospitals in San Francisco that are sort of known for overriding um, a woman's perspective. You know, if you're going to give birth and this is a concern, research the hospitals, talk to other women, um, read reviews. And I'm glad to hear that you had, like, you know, an overall consensual and positive experience of birth. So one of the reasons that I wanted to, that I think the child is interesting in the, like, birth story is to kind of contrast how pregnancy and childbirth are portrayed on TV mm-hmm. versus the actual experience. Yeah. In her magical space like pregnancy, she's pregnant for like a day. She has no pain. She has no pain in the act of giving birth. 
obvi- it's obviously like not meant to be a real human experience. Like your experience of being pregnant, yeah, was really yeah, rough. Yeah, a really shitty pregnancy. Like I didn't know about hyperemesis gravidarum at all. Mm-hmm. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, and I think I talked about it briefly on a another podcast. I'm not. I don't mm-hmm. remember if it made it through the edit um, when I was talking about like why we were taking a break from recording, mm-hmm. and I wanted to you know say that like. You know, so it was hard for us to record while I was pregnant. Yeah. I had the thing that Kate Middleton had. You have morning sickness that's so extreme that you get dehydrated and you have to go to the hospital and be on fluids. Mm -hmm. Um, Most people have uh, nausea and morning sickness like through the first 12 to 14 weeks of their pregnancy. Um, I was getting hospitalized like week 18. Uh, I had to get fluids at week 20. Um, and I had to be on nausea medicine for the remainder of my pregnancy. So basically my body didn't grow out of having those extreme hormones that make you sick all the time. It's fairly rare and I didn't even have the most extreme case of it because with some people the nausea medicine doesn't work Mm. and then they have to be on like feeding tubes and uh or even have like intravenous uh nausea medicine like all the time at their house um whereas like I was able to get by on pills and then the second half of my pregnancy I had like really bad like swelling and like my hands and my ankles and my wrists it was just I was miserable yeah I wanted to play this for you because it's so it's from Lineage the episode where Bolana's pregnant Seven said you were dizzy. Are you all right? I'm fine. Nothing ever rattled her, not even the Cardassians. <sighs> this is scarier. Would you like some time off? To do what? Adjust. This is a big change. I'll work during the day, sleep at night, and have the baby when it's time. Well, if you need to cut back on your duties, I'm sure Seven would be happy to fill in for you. I think I can handle it. I, re- I like that clip because, like you were talking about when you summarized this episode, like everybody... He's like talking about what she's going to do, how she's going to be when she's pregnant. And she's like, no, I'm not going to take any time off. I'm going to do my normal things and uh, screw being treated like an invalid, basically. And I think that this is something that is routinely portrayed on like on TV, like pregnant people going about their normal activities as if being pregnant is easy and like not remarkable really Mm -hmm. I just you know I've never been pregnant but I don't think that that's actually real like pregnancy is fucking hard yeah yeah like uh even I mean even people who don't have any of the extreme things that I that I've had like It's exhausting. Like, the hormones themselves make you really sleepy. I don't know. I mean, I kind of get where... I kind of get where she's coming from. Because I remember people kind of offering me... Kind of, like, assuming that... Or, or like, asking how I felt before I felt bad. And I was like, what Mm. are you talking about? Or, like, toward the... My third trimester... You know, toward the end, like in the last month before I gave birth, I had this huge 
burst of energy, which is probably the nesting instinct. Mm -hmm. And people kept telling me, like, not to lift things, to take it easy. And I was like, I'm fine. And I think, like, the thing here is that, like, women know what accommodations they need. Right. You know? Yeah. And I... and I think that's really real. And and they'll ask for them. Give them space to request the accommodations that are necessary, but don't presume what is necessary. And don't, like, don't treat people like they need special handling, be- you know, before that they, before they've asked for that, basically. Yeah. And then, but then the other part of this is, like, it feels a little bit, like we are back in this especially very American like capitalist values where if you have the ability to be productive at your job right then that's what is valued and like if you are to you know have real struggles and like need accommodations like the space for that is harder to find. So I like that I like that the Voyager crew is like, we'll we'll figure out how to make this work, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I mean, of course Bolana and Seven have this like they're at loggerheads all the time and the last thing Bolana wants is to yield her territory of the of engineering to to Seven. But like I appreciated that they were making space for that. And I also felt like coming from Bolana, we get a little bit of this societal expectation that you should keep working through your pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's I think that's a really good point. I have another clip from this episode I want to play. I'm detecting another life sign. Where? Inside Lieutenant Torres. It could be a parasite. Seven of nine to the doctor. Go ahead. I'll be accompanying Lieutenant Torres to sickbay. What's wrong? I believe she's pregnant. So that one I really like because it's like the, the like, oh, there's another life form. It might be a parasite. <laughs> <laughs> I just oh, find man. it very entertaining. <laughs> Uh, my my baby just met uh, my my cousin who's like 27 and autistic and oh. he was I was breastfeeding and my cousin uh, is like watching me and he looks at Avi and he's like, oh, what a cute little parasite. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, you're not wrong, Will. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, years ago, I was dating somebody who was like very clear that he wanted to have kids and at that time I was like less certain that I wanted to but definitely certain that I didn't want to have kids with him oh and anytime he would bring up babies I just like the first thing that I thought of in my brain was the the phrase womb parasite (laughs) (laughs) I was like this is obvious I'm not gonna have kids with this person oh wow Uh, yeah do you have any more clips? <laughs> oh, yeah. So there's one more clip from this episode. Is it a girl or a boy? No, don't tell. I, I want to be surprised. <laughs> We've already been surprised. I just don't see any reason to have to label the baby. 
I don't want to know the gender. I don't want to have to pick a name yet. Okay, okay. So I, I pulled that clip because they're talking about whether or not they want to know the gender of their kid. And, of course, Tom's like, you don't want to, like, girl or boy. There's And so, first of all, we're in this paradigm of, like, there's only two genders. You could only potentially be a girl or a boy. Mm-hmm. And I know that this was made in the 90s. And we have come a long way about our conception of gender. But I just hope that when we actually get to the year 2400, whatever it is, that people will no longer be having this conversation of like, what gender is it? Which of the two possible genders is it going to (sighs) be? I I mean, I like that she says that she doesn't want to label the child. Mm -hmm. I definitely, I know someone who has like a, a baby or where at least publicly they have not disclosed whether or not the baby is male or female. Whoa. And they've given it a gender-neutral name. Um, I, I find this whole thing hard to navigate because I'm, you know, I had a, a, I have a son and I'm very aware that, uh, you know, maybe one day he'll tell me that I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying not to hyper-gender him. Um, but -hmm. it's very easy to fall into that, uh, that trap. But, you know, when I talk to him, I'm like, oh, a little boy. And I try to catch myself and be like, oh, a little baby, you know, because I don't Mm -hmm. want him to think I'm attached to his gender. He's three months old. He doesn't know what I'm saying yet. It's just, (laughs) it's, it's, you can go through all these things and be super, um, aware of this stuff right now. And then we don't really have a lot of models for how to do it differently. Right. Yeah, even just down to like language. Mm-hmm. It's we we don't have a really good way to talk about babies that isn't gendered or adults for that matter. And as soon as Bolana, as soon as they do find out that it's a girl, um th- she doesn't stick to that let's not label the baby thing. It's just like she 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 Mm-hmm. Um, daughter, you know, like they're just like, well, now we know. So, you know, it's it's a nice sentiment, but she was only going to hold it as long as uh, she was pregnant, I guess. Right. It To me, the way that it reads in that scene is less that she's like aware of or cares about the idea of people being somewhere else on the gender spectrum than male or female and more that she's like not quite ready to accept being pregnant at all mm. and that she's like I don't want to know this because it makes it more real. Mm. That's yeah, that's so what I get. Yeah, she's using from that the scene. let's not label the child as an excuse. Yeah, is the yeah. kind of way to like distance herself from it. So then like then we get into the part where she has this genetic defect and then Bolana's doing all of this stuff to get the doctor to edit her genome so that she will look entirely human. Something that's interesting that we didn't already talk about in there is that as she's making these edits, the baby gets more blonde and blue-eyed. Yeah. As well as not having the forehead ridges. Hmm. <laughs> That's that is that is interesting and I I think you know we go back to this thing where in Star Trek being alien is kind of a metaphor for being a different race and often mm-hmm. um characters that are 
mixed species sort of go through mixed race narratives. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Balana's child, of course, would be both um, mixed species and mixed race because her because her human half is uh, Latinx. Right. Um, and uh, that's sort of confirmed on this episode with like the casting of her that not just the actress is Latina in real life, but that like the casting of her father is also Latino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess they're just making it more and more Tom. I don't know. Like, was she editing out both of the, or is this, are there no blonde Klingons? <laughs> um, I don't know that I've seen a blonde Klingon, but I think you're right. I think that Tom is blonde and blue eyed. And so as she's editing out the Klingon parts of the genome, she's like making her daughter genetically closer to Tom. And who knows like how much focus the writers or the the creators of this CGI little baby hologram were actually thinking about any of the genetic stuff about that or like they're just like more human equals more blonde like mm-hmm. mm. yeah do you have other things that you want to say about this episode it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite episodes Roxanne Dawes does a great job and uh, I I buy it a lot more now that I've had a kid. Hmm. I like that it was already one of your favorite episodes. And now that you've had a kid, it resonates more with you. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think before I just thought it was like this interesting exploration of this character. But I found all the choices that she was making just like ridiculous. And I'm like, who mm. would feel that way? But I guess she would. You know, and uh, now that I've had a child, like that feeling of... That feeling of looking at your child and being like, are they going to be like me? And is their life going to be hard because they're like me? Feels very real, you know? Like, uh, I worry that he'll have ADD. Hmm. Um, I worry that he'll have anxiety. What if he's a weirdo and kids bully him? And I just, Hmm. like, all of that has come up for me, like, since he's been born. Um not really since I got pregnant, but since he's been born, I just like look at him and he looks kind of like me. And I'm like, oh no, are you going to have my life? Will mm. it be better for you? And I think that that feeling of wanting your child's life to be better than your own and worrying that they'll go through what you went through is like uh, really universal to being a parent. Maybe not, maybe not every parent, but I've definitely felt it. And I don't, I'm not half Klingon. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because I, yeah, I don't think I would have really noticed that otherwise. And I, I can totally see how, like, how that's very real for you. Like this person, this, he, he, your, your kid looks so much like you Mm -hmm. and you know, life has all kinds of ups and downs and, you know, that it's going to be different for him. But like something that I wrote down in my notes from this episode is that the doctor says to Bolana when she's trying to convince him to edit the baby's DNA is um, with all due respect, you have no idea who your daughter is going to be. Mm hmm. And it's like, 
that is true. And it is also true that of any human being in this whole planet, your child will be the most like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was really powerful. And it's, you know, it's something I'm working through. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because I, I sort of also at that at the same time was kind of aware that I, I don't need to project all of my my worries and all of my issues onto him. Um, mm. uh, and I think I think having a child in general can just be triggering for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It brings up a lot of stuff from your own childhood and you don't know what those things are that it's go- that it's going to bring up. This is not something I thought was going to come up for me, but you know, I'm, uh, I have a therapist, so I have a space for that. So that's great. It's good. He's starting to look at least my child. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know we're like going back and forth between talking about Bolana's child and like my child, but he's starting to look more like my husband. So mm. that's reassuring. <laughs> Maybe he'll have all of his <laughs> positive qualities. <laughs> it's actually it's actually really it's really cute like he'll make these faces that i'm like oh wow like that expression is like so joachim that's cute yeah Aww. yeah Aww. but i think you know it seems very much thematically linked to me to what's going on in the Deep Space Nine episode mm-hmm. with Odo. Um, different stuff came up for him, um, but you know he's looking at his his child, his goo baby, which is basically just like a cup of Jello for most of the episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, they, but he's you know talking to it and treating it like an infant. Um, so uh, great. Great job, uh, Rene. Aubergineois. He does. Aubergineois. Yeah, treating this cup of jello like a baby. He, he, um, he really does sell those scenes. And it's yeah. fucking ridiculous, also. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, like for him, he, he remembered all of the hardships of how his parents treated him. And mm-hmm. his reaction is, is I'm going to treat my child differently. I'm going to parent differently. I'm going to do better. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think often people make other mistakes in reacting to how their parents raised them. You can overreact. You can go too far in the other direction. But no matter what, having a kid is going to bring up whatever your childhood trauma was, I think. I think that's true. And it's like, to me, coming from the perspective of I don't have children of my own and I spent, you know, it's a, a longer chunk of time with my own parents than I thought that I would ever as an adult really like living with them over this pandemic. What I see in this episode that's reflected in my life is that Odo, you know, has this memory and kind of construct of his relationship with Dr. Mora as his parental figure who tortured him, basically, Mm. who abused him in the name of science, like experimented on an object of scientific interest rather than as a, you know, as a living being to be raised. And in this episode, through working together with Dr. Mora to like try to teach this, uh, this other changeling how to be a shapeshifter, like I think that he shifts his relationship with Dr. Mora towards the kind of relationship that I, that 
I'm having with my parents now and that I hope a lot of people can have with their parents as adults, which is to like a bit more understanding of why it was hard for them to raise me and like just like forgiveness to the things that they did that when I was a kid, I felt like they did wrong, you know? Yeah. And like why they made the choices that they made. Like, you know, Dr. Mora is very much like, look, I wasn't a changeling. I couldn't communicate with you. Like, because mm-hmm. I, I think the issue was that he would zap him when he wouldn't do the thing that he wanted. He would give him like a mild electrical shock. Yeah. And uh, he's like, this is the only way I had of communicating with you. Um, which Odo starts to understand. Um, not that I think it's cool to shock kids, but like people, <laughs> you can you can see things that your parents did that you might think were that you would not have done, and yeah, like getting to know them as an adult might help you have some understanding or some compassion for the choices that they made. And and Odo is really resistant at first, like Odo's whole approach to how to interact with this changeling that's just a jar of goo is to talk to him and talk to it, I should say. Them? Talk to the thing. When that's not working, then he's like, okay, I need some help. And, and he ultimately does like accept this, this shock treatment that helps the changeling figure out how to stay in a certain shape. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel I have so many mixed feelings about that because when he was, when Odo was in that state, he really experienced that as like heart hurtful and harmful. And now he's doing it again, like yeah. in the other, from the other vantage. And because he, he can't come up with a better way. Right. Yeah, I know. The show is very, I don't know what they're trying to say. It's like, okay, well, I guess, you know, he, because the other thing that's happening in this episode is that uh, Odo is not able to shapeshift right now. He's like stuck in solid form. Right. So he can't use his shapeshifting powers as a way to like communicate with the baby. Like I imagine that like there would probably be some way to like link and talk to each other that way if they were both shapeshifters. He does not right. have that ability right now. And you're like, okay, there's like a sci-fi science thing going on, but <laughs> like is the show saying that there it's sometimes okay to like use pain or violence against children? Because like I think that that's not true. Um, and there are definitely, I, I think there's like a parallel here because um, it's not like People hit kids because it seems like it works, you know? Right. It will end the behavior that elicited the hitting. Um, and in this case, it works, right? Um, mm-hmm. But But they're, I don't know. I mean, like, I've gone through this with my dog, you know? Like, when I got a dog, I decided that we were not going to use any kind of violent tactics with her like we weren't going to use a choke collar we weren't going to do that thing where you poke them um Mm. you know caesar milan style um that we weren't going to do alpha dog stuff we were only going to do positive reinforcement positive reinforcement works sometimes it doesn't work as quickly (laughs) you know and uh so it's not like the other way like wouldn't necessarily i 
work. I think actually the evidence shows that like over time, you know, positive reinforcement with dogs or with children works better, but it doesn't always work faster. Right. You know, so I wonder if there is a plot they could have written where Odo decided not to zap the baby and eventually the baby understood what he was saying. Yeah. And the writers chose not to go down that route. Well, I think part of, you know, part of what they wrote into this plot is that the the changeling, the baby changeling is like sick. Yeah. And so they're trying to get the baby changeling to to shapeshift quickly, like as a fight against time, like because it might be dying, I think. Yeah. Um, and then the the way that the episode ends is that the baby changeling who is about to die, like, absorbs itself into Odo and then yeah. Odo can shapeshift again. It's... Yeah, like, magically heals Odo. Right. The, the, the metaphor for, like, human child rearing and, like, all just completely <laughs> falls apart at this point. It just goes full it science. <laughs> you can't... There's really nothing... I'm like, well, what would that mean? No, I don't know. <laughs> like, no, yeah, right. It's like there's no there's no real analog in like pregnancy, childbirth, or child rearing that is uh, then the then the baby can't live on its own, so it reabsorbs into the mother. No, mm-hmm. as much as as much as conservative politicians would like you to believe that abortions are reversible, <laughs> you can't do that, and you can't also put a baby just like back into the mom. That also doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, no. So the, the, you know, the subplot, the reason that we watched this episode particularly is because it's the episode in which Kira gives birth. Right. What we get to see in that is that the Bajoran tradition or like practices around childbirth is that the the pregnant person, in order to be able to give birth, must be relaxed (laughs) (laughs) and so there's this whole like uh, like chief o'brien is not playing his his little gong at the right time and like then shakar shows up and like she's not relaxed enough anymore but like i thought it was really i i liked this different portrayal of the experience of giving birth from other portrayals of giving birth in TV and and like specifically in the episode Disaster in TNG where Keiko it's it's like the ship is falling apart might actually like everybody's cut off from communication from one another it's an extremely high stakes moment and the stakes are heightened because she's giving birth and the baby's like not pointing the right way and so we oh, have yeah. this one on one hand we have this like very extreme. Everything is crazy and craziness because of giving birth. And then on the other hand, we have like in Bajor, if you're not perfectly relaxed, then you could not have a kid. So um, so I, I liked these two extremes to talk about how it is in general that birth is portrayed on TV and in media versus the actual experience of it, which you have recently been through. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think definitely the the TNG Keiko's birth mm-hmm. or the birth Keiko giving birth to her first child. It's funny that these are both Keiko's children. Yeah. Just as an, as, yeah. Anyway, uh, 
is much closer to how birth is typically portrayed on television, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and yet it's like, so birth on television is often really dramatic yes. and really scary. It's often, unless you're watching a medical drama, often there's this trope of like, not a doctor is delivering the baby, <laughs> which is also going on here. Mm-hmm. And it's often pretty fast. Um, even if it takes a long time in the show, it's still faster than in real life, which I think is also going on here. Like she gets to, mm-hmm. she gets dilated. I think you have the clip from this, but she gets. Oh yeah, let's uh, let's play this clip. It's great. <sighs> Congratulations, you are fully dilated to ten centimeters. You may now give birth. Oh, that's what I've been doing. It's <sighs> <laughs> just like you may now give birth. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, and so like I think I think what Worf means is that because she's fully dilated, she can transition or she she's you know, there's this part where you transition from the um active birth phase, which is like where you're you're dilating and you're having contractions to the pushing phase, which is where you're having contractions and you're physically pushing the baby out. Um, so he's like, push the baby out now, basically. Um, but pushing can last. I mean, like I pushed for like three hours. I think an hour and a half is pretty typical. So even even if, um, you know, he's like, you may now give birth. It's like he's going to be there for a while. It doesn't start right away. One of the things that I that the Dr. McCoy thing just reminded me of when I was talking about like uh, people trying to adhere to what they've learned in medical school, like that comes back with Worf mm-hmm. here. Um, that there's this tendency for the medical establishment to be like, okay, I learned that birth mm-hmm. happens a certain way and on a certain timeline, and it needs to progress in order correctly and in a timely manner. Um, and if it doesn't, we're going to intervene and like give you drugs. And so, like, that. Worf being like, okay, it's time now for the next thing to happen. Reminded me of sort of like the medical model of of birth. Worf, have you ever done this before? Delivered a baby? Yes. No. I took the Starfleet Emergency Medical Course. In a computerized simulation, I assisted in delivery of a human baby. Sometimes it doesn't go by the book, Worf. My particular experience is, like, really weird or, like, or perfect for this episode that we're doing um, because I was going to give birth with midwives without drugs in a birth center, and I did half of my labor that way. And then my blood pressure shot up and I had to be moved to a hospital. And so then Mm. I did the rest of my labor, like, with drugs, with an epidural, on my back, with doctors, in a hospital setting. So I kind of went through uh, both styles of Mm -hmm. modern birth. But the the midwife perspective, the, the midwifery perspective is like birth doesn't always move forward or you might you might dilate and then you might undilate if something happens mm. um, or if you get stressed out mm. or you get nervous. Um, there's this idea of the fight or flight response. Um, so like 
something that I learned in one of my birthing classes is that a deer running through a forest or a deer giving birth can see a wolf and then stop giving birth and be able to run through the forest away from the wolf. And then we'll start going through labor again when she knows that she's safe. Oh my goodness. That's really interesting because in the, in the episode with Kira giving birth, like, so there's a scene where she's about to be ready to give birth and then, and, but they've been waiting for Shikar to get there the whole time and he's like running late. And then he shows up and she is no longer relaxed enough to give birth. Yeah. So when I'm watching the Bajoran birth, I was like, oh, this is totally talking about like, like what that episode is is speaking to is this more natural, homeopathic, hippie alternative, like the home birth movement mm-hmm. um, or the people who go with midwives. They're talking about that model of, of birth. Hmm. She is still on her back. She is still on her back. Um, maybe that would have been too weird. For TV, but the you know the whole thing where they're playing instruments and they're like sh- they have, there's like a bongo and like a little <laughs> shaky rattle and like the chimes and stuff going on. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of other people in my my birth center class were talking about like oh yeah I have my playlist picked out mm-hmm. or I'm bringing my sound machine like people will bring twinkle lights Cute. you know like people will try to like set and I you know I did none of that because I'm kind of a middle of the row person where like I didn't really want to be in the hospital but um I was like that seems like a lot of work making a playlist luckily my husband made a playlist oh. <laughs> Oh, he's useful for something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's all sort of of that vein of like, oh, I have to be as relaxed as possible. There's mm-hmm. this thing called hypnobirthing where people will do these meditations leading up to birth to allow themselves to like get really, really relaxed. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind hypnobirthing is if you can get calm enough you can give a painless birth, hmm. which my midwives were, were quick to tell us uh, is not actually true. Hmm. You are still going to have pain. Um, but there are definitely people who say that they don't have pain during birth and they just experience pressure. I don't believe them, hmm. but uh, maybe you can hypnotize yourself into thinking that. <laughs> yeah, I think that comes down more to like, what do you define as pain rather than like they don't experience something that's uncomfortable or like you know hard on your body yeah i mean i definitely had pain i also have a really high pain tolerance you know but like i gave i was in labor without for 24 hours before i got my epidural Mm. you know and it was hard but it was also fine you know Mm -hmm. uh I made it to like eight centimeters. And like the only reason I got an epidural was because my blood pressure was super high. Um, mm. But I wa- I don't know. I wasn't relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> I found it very difficult to relax. I believe that. Like, yeah, I mean, when your blood pressure is high, it's like your your body is in a not relaxed state. That's, yeah. that's like the opposite of being relaxed. Yeah. And, and you know, that might be part of why my labor took so long. Like I, I couldn't relax enough. I wasn't doing the, um, but the, the wolf metaphor is supposed to mean something like, you know, if uh, doctors are constantly coming in and out or like people are constantly checking your cervix or you're just really, really nervous about getting birth, um, you might, your birth might not progress as quickly as mm. if you are able to feel safe 
Mm. And um, your body thinks it's not in an emergency. That makes a lot of sense. I think the truth of birth is probably somewhere between these two models or some mixture of the medical model and the bajor and relaxy model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes and I wrote um, that Kira's like, she wants to have this baby in the traditional Bajoran way. And I just wrote, lol, why? <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's a human baby. Right. <laughs> that she got, that she was implanted with because Keiko, like, was injured in some shuttle accident. Right. And so the idea that you would need to have this baby in a traditional Bajoran way when you, like, are a an accidental surrogate basically is just hilarious to me. Well, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, contrasting that with the whole Dr. McCoy slapping the, the birthing Mm. woman in the face kind of situation, you know, that they're continuing to let her make these decisions because even though it's Mm, not even her baby and she is not the mother, um, she's still in charge of her body right now. Yeah. And And they're letting her be, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I'm sure if it became an actual emergency and not just like getting closer to the possibility of an emergency, which is what that sort of like you've been in birth too long dialogue is about. It's like you're not in an emergency, but it's, you know, you could be soon. Maybe we don't know. Right. Um, If she was actually in danger, I'm sure they would bring her to sick bay. Right. It's interesting. So what you just said about the like letting her make her own choices Reminded me that I pulled it. I pulled a clip from not any of the episodes that we've already talked about. It's an episode called "Nor the Battle to the Strong," which is also in DS Nine in the like in the arc of when she's pregnant. And basically, the cold open of the episode is like this conversation that I pulled a clip from, and then the rest of the episode has nothing to do with her being pregnant whatsoever. So okay, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play this yeah. clip. What is it, Quark? The chief asked me to come up with a decaffeinated Raptagino for Kira. I'm thinking of marketing it. Oh, 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 that's awful. Give it a chance. <laughs> Let me taste it. And then tries it and makes all kinds of faces. And he's like, this is, this is undrinkable. And just in that moment, I was so irritated because why couldn't he just believe that she didn't like it? <laughs> Right. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. She doesn't like it. Yeah. Oh. I was so pissed. But I think when it comes to, like, the experience, like, this, what we're talking about in this episode is how many foods, activities, like, just choices that pregnant women are expected to make. Mm-hmm. in the course of being pregnant and how much that is like dictated and not respected when somebody chooses something Yeah, and that- it's I mean and it's really hard to navigate because there are there are a lot of things that are legitimately dangerous uh to the pregnancy or to pregnant women and then there are a lot of things that are like we just don't have a lot of data about because it's yeah. unethical to do a randomized trial on pregnant women. <laughs> Mm-hmm. or pregnant people um, because then if you find out that the thing is is harmful then you've just harmed a lot of people in the trial so for, right. for ethical reasons they it's really hard to study this stuff um, 
So you have to like look at data in this really weird way and be like, okay, I'll, here are a bunch of women that chose to drink a lot of coffee and here's what happened to their children. And like, what do we know from that? Um, you know, and so I did a lot of reading. It seems like a small amount of caffeine is not harmful. A large amount of caffeine is harmful, but I ended up choosing to drink coffee while I was pregnant, especially because all of the nausea medicine they put me on made me extremely sleepy. And if mm. I didn't choose caffeine, I would have literally been in bed all day. Um, <laughs> you would have just like slept basically for three months. Right, right. But there are a lot of people who think that that's wrong and people are not afraid to say it's like the moment you become pregnant it's what you do with your body is everyone's business that's the part of it that like really ugh. yeah um yeah because there's because like these things like caffeine alcohol like other kinds of drugs even you know, certain types of foods, whatever. Lunch meat. Are you going to exercise? Are you lifting that box? Are you driving? Are you driving? People question me about, like, why are you driving? And I'm like, well, I have to go places. <laughs> yeah. And the, and just, like, the fact that somehow when you're pregnant, like, you are open to receiving everybody's opinions about what you should be doing with with the body that is still yours, mm -hmm. it's just uh, let people make their own fucking choices. And in this situation, it's even weirder because even though Miles is the father of the child, mm -hmm. it's she is not his partner. She is like an accidental surrogate, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like literally the patriarchy trying to tell her what to do. Yeah, even the framing of this scene is is so obviously that because it's. So it's in conversation and like Kira's there and I think Dax is there and they're standing like on one side of this conversation and then Quark and Odo and Chief O'Brien and I could swear there's one, one other person there, but he doesn't like have a speaking line are like in the like on the opposite side of this conversation. So they're even like men and women are opposed physically in this. Yeah. I yeah no I just thought that the scene in particular just stuck out to me as being like so emblematic of all of these kinds of conversations that we have like patriarchy just dictating to pregnant people about right. what they're supposed to do right absolutely I also pulled a couple clips from when Miles has his baby and Kate goes away so like he's full-time parent oh okay chief my schedule shows you were supposed to begin modifying the deflector array aboard the Defiant today. I'm sorry, sir. The captain thought I could use a few days' leave, so I decided to take him up on it. To care for your son. Looking after a baby can be a full-time job. Looking out for a baby can be a full-time job. Understatement of the fucking century. Like, yeah. It's more than a full-time job. Yeah, I was like, it's literally a full-time job. Every hour of every minute of every day. Like you're talking about, before we started recording, you're talking about just even keeping your house clean is hard because you have one hand that's occupied with your baby all the right. time. Yeah, yeah. And my, you know, and it depends on the, the you know, the baby that I have does not want to be set down. Um, 
you know, and he's like 13 weeks, 14 weeks old. Oh, wow. It's Thursday. He's 14 <laughs> weeks old. And uh, I think that's I think it's reasonable to want to be held all the time at, at 14 weeks old. You know, like he doesn't mm-hmm. want to be in the playpen or, or in the crib. That's kind of a understandable request. He's brand new. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, like, OK, I'm like at the moment, you know, like I'm at the moment I'm doing the stay at home mom thing. And it's like, I can really only do the mom part of it. Like, I'm just literally trying to vacuum my floor and it's, I, can't, I can't do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and that's... Wow, yeah, this is not Star Trek related. But, I mean, that that's really, that's really hard. Because, like, I have help, right? Like, uh, you know, um, for a very short number of hours a week, I have someone in here helping me even though mm-hmm. I'm not working and I feel guilty about that, but it's like, mm. you know, cheaper for me to pay someone to watch my kid while I clean my own house than to pay someone to clean my house. <laughs> well, that's an interesting commentary on like domestic labor and the like how yeah. capitalism values domestic labor. Sure. Um, but I think it's also like, uh, it can be a commentary on our culture where people who have babies are really expected to somehow be able to do it by themselves, like yeah. on, on your own kind of deal. And globally, that is not really – that's not a consistent, like, cultural expectation. Like, other cultures, like, babies are held 100% of the time because as, like – it's expected and but there's also more people around to help mm-hmm. who can take the baby like it's not the mom who's always the one holding the baby yeah this kind of american individualism that trickles down into you should be able to do this all on your own ends up having you feel guilty about not being able to do that yeah yeah i've been Ugh. yeah i've been reading a lot about um like sleep training and like and getting your child to sleep in a crib or like on a hard surface and not in your arms all the time. Mm. And um, something interesting that I stumbled upon by accident that totally relates to what you just said is that uh, this is really a big focus in like America and Australia and uh, the UK Mm. in places where women are expected to return back to work really quickly it is a big focus to teach your child how to sleep through the night Mm. and how to sleep while not being held Um, because the capitalistic expectation is that the woman will be like the woman needs to be able to put the baby down the way she can work. Right. And in countries um, like France or places where, you know, that are, um, you know, historically, when women weren't necessarily working, um, or in countries where we have like really great parental leave, it's mm-hmm. seen as totally appropriate to let a child wake up in the middle of the night, or uh, nap in your arms, or nap while you're wearing them, because the focus isn't on getting the woman to go back to work and be as productive as possible. Um, productive member of like a capitalist society right yeah as if as if caring for a child is not productive or not work or like not a legitimate like 
use of your of your labor. Like boo to all of that. And I like I like this particular clip because I think it it highlights that or at least what it highlights for me is that we get to see a parent like actually struggling with caring for a child and meeting their job responsibilities. And of course, it has to be from the perspective of Chief O'Brien, while Keiko is totally like not even present. Um, And a lot like actually like with this Odo story too, like we kind of we kind of end up in this place of being a young parent come like we we are exposed to it from the perspective of the male parent who's not the default parent. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because all sorts of reasons, like Chief O'Brien's a main character, Keiko is not, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, I think that the Deep Space Nine takes a special interest in in fatherhood and in single fatherhood. mm -hmm. Like we see that with with Captain Sisko. Yes. Yeah. Uh, But there's like this expectation here that like Yoshi should be with Keiko. Mm-hmm. Right. And that exactly. that's, that's part of what the problem is. Yeah. Right. And speaking of like your your experience is that you your baby does not like to be left on his own. And so you're ending up like carrying him all the time. Um, part of the plot of this of this business as usual episode is that Chief O'Brien is not getting any sleep. He's not able to put the baby down. And there's this really funny scene. I'm going to play a clip where he's brought Yoshi to the like ops center. So here comes clip. Chief, why is the baby in the pit? It's kind of hard to explain, sir. Try. As soon as I took him down there with me, he fell asleep could be the pattern of the lights, the hum of the optronic emitters, the vibrations of the ODN relays, I'm not sure. But the point is, he's not crying. Yes, Chief. Why don't you take off for a few days until Keiko gets back? I think we can manage without you for that long. Oh, that won't be necessary, sir. I have the situation well in hand. (laughs) (laughs) I just love it. I just love it so much. Oh, it's so relatable. Oh, my God. And what what you can't tell from the audio clip is that, like, everybody in ops has gathered around to just stare at the baby. Oh, is that why it's not acceptable? Because it's a distraction? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And... I think it's really cute because people are like, you know, people want to be around babies. People fucking love babies in general. Not everybody loves babies, but we are human as human beings. We are like kind of instinctually programmed to love babies. And what I really wanted to play this clip for is to talk about Tammy Duckworth bringing her baby to the Senate floor. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so up until... This fucking badass lady, Senator Tammy Duckworth, brought her baby to the Senate floor. She's she's like the first person to bring a baby to to her job in Congress. And I love that she's breaking this barrier. And now it is actually like 
uh, I don't know, officially in the rules and okay thing to do. You're right. She's a senator. She's a senator. Okay, great. Um, and that, like, having that happen makes it easier, I think, for other people to bring their babies to to their jobs. And this is something that I would that I want to be advocating for. I think it should be easier for people to bring babies to their jobs. Like, if we're going to expect people who are parents who are of young babies to be working, you should be able to bring your baby to your job. Especially now that we have all of these workplaces that let you bring your dog in. Mm, oh my god, right? Because they recognize it's hard to bring it to be a dog parent and leave your dog alone. It's like, okay, uh-huh. all right. Like, come on. Yeah. Wow. I I had not made that connection, but I think you're so right. Obviously, in this clip, it's, like, not okay for him to have his baby at work. But what if it was okay? Like, I mean, baby sleeping in the pit. It seems like it's going fine, honestly. I, yeah. I, I think that, the, you know, what needs to happen is, like, Cisco needs to tell everyone else to go back to work and ignore, like, ignore the baby. Like, the baby's not crying. Right. He's not, he's like doing great. Right. And I think Chief O'Brien's right that the baby, he has the situation well in hand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like, if it were, if it were more normal for people to have their babies at work, like it wouldn't be remarkable that there's this one baby this one time. Mm-hmm. So people wouldn't be as distracted by it. So I think that's an upside of COVID. Like now that COVID has demonstrated that people depending on the type of job can work from home, it's easier to care for your for your babies or your kids when you can kind of bounce in and out of that. I mean, I think it depends on who you ask. I think a lot of people found it very hard. Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, being depri- I mean, for older children, at least, being deprived of the free child care of school. Right. They found it distracting to have their kids at home while they were working all the time. Um at the same time, like, it's been really great for me having my husband work from home while I'm trying to take care of the baby full time. Like, if I need to go pee or something, mm-hmm. he can watch him for a few minutes. It's not a big deal. Um, or if I – a few times I've even gone to the gym in the middle of the day and left him at home for an hour. So that's been great. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't be able to be helpful at all if it weren't for COVID during work hours. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think that's – that's great. And it's, you know, an unexpected positive thing that you're experiencing. And also, once again, highlights the notion that a single person could possibly care for a baby all by themselves. I have no idea. I have so much respect for single parents. I have no idea. Honestly, y'all the real heroes. (laughs) For real. So I have... One more. I just want to do like a costume corner really quick. Okay. I was really in love with what like Keiko's pregnant lady style in the disaster episode when she's giving birth to Molly. Like she's got this kind of earth tones, purple and green and like browns and stuff. And it's it's kind of this like sash and tied like up right over her belly and uh, it's a really beautiful, really beautiful costume. Um, similarly, Deanna's costume when she's in, when she's like fully pregnant, she's on the bridge and she's got this really flowy kind of her signature teal, but a little bit muted. And it's got a, like a little bit of a kimono vibe going on. 
on point. Kira, on the other hand, has like altered her regular uniform to just like mm. accommodate a baby. Yeah. Um, which I think is also good. But I just wanted to point out those two outfits because they oh, were yeah. like, yes. I would have I would have loved to have like a programmable replicator while I was pregnant. Um, I think it is it is hard to find like cute pregnancy clothes. And I don't know if I successfully did it, but those two outfits are great. They were great. Yeah, so that that wraps up our baby time combo. Woohoo. Do you wanna just like plug the trailer for Picard before we sign oh off? Oh my god. Yeah, there's a new trailer for Picard. I'm so excited. Um because it it essentially promises what I wanted all of last season, which was Q. Q's back. Yay! Yay! I don't know how they're going to explain him looking older, too, but, like, whatever. I don't care. So excited. Doesn't matter. So exciting. From what I can tell, there's either, like, time travel or an alternate timeline or something. Mm -hmm. And also Seven seems to play a big role in it. So all the things that I I love. I, I love alternate reality stories. I love time travel. I love, I'm a big Q fan. Some people hate the Q episodes. I love the Q episodes. I love the Q episodes. Yeah. There is an episode where Q has a child who is, mm-hmm. in fact, John Delancey's real child in real life. Yes. But yeah, if we ever want to do more parenthood stuff, we could do the, the Keegan Delancey episode. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, thanks for listening everybody yeah thanks for thanks for listening um let us know what you want to talk about live long and prosper peace and long life intertractional is a production of federation and fempire written and produced by ryan Ascalazi and becca motola barnes original music by danny kavka follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at intertractional we want to hear from you join our facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire or you can become a member of our member feed on podfan that is pod.fan slash intertractional okay so first we're, we're gonna do a little bit of um sorry i'm gonna start again mm-hmm. um first of all the the no <laughs>